Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. Sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. Uncle Iroh from Avatar, The Last Airbender. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode 22. Hey, I'm G. I'm M. And today we're going to be talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. Avatar The Last Airbender. So exciting. Yes. But uh, usually I like to just go directly into the meat of the episode, but we do have some things we want to talk about before we start talking about Avatar. Uh, The first of which is with the coronavirus going around, it would be really great if you could support independent creators, maybe support us as an independent creator, but anyone else who is, you know, going through this difficult financial time. And while you are doing that, also please stay safe and healthy. Make sure that you are following guidelines and practicing safe social distancing if possible. Yeah. One additional thing I'd like to talk about is we got our first review on iTunes. And it's a five-star review from Slow King Princess. Thank you, Slow King Princess. Yeah, thank you. I want to just say thank you so much for giving us this review We don't usually ask for reviews because I realize it's a lot kind of like outing yourself as listening to this explicitly kinky podcast. So we super appreciate it when you go through the effort of typing up a review. And now we are going to transition to the meat of the episode, but just want to give some spoilers uh, or a warning of spoilers. Sorry. Just want to let you know that we are going to be talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, the show. And if you haven't watched it, this is going to contain pretty much all of the spoilers you could ever imagine about it. All the spoilers. Which you can't imagine them if you haven't seen it. So you should watch it. Yeah, do watch it and then come back and listen to the podcast. So let's get started. Because everything changed after the Fire Nation attacked. Everything changed after the coronavirus attacked. (laughs) Uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Everything is literally changing. Uh, yeah. This is probably going to be a uh, turning point in our society. Absolutely. But it did give me the time to rewatch all of Avatar The Last Airbender. Now that all of my schedule has been changed. So I was able to rewatch everything before we got to this episode. Um, And I just want to say that it's such a good show. There's a lot of amazing animation and content as well. I think where I want to start off with talking about it is that it shows a lot of the complications and the devastations of war. All right. In the very beginning, because I wanted to really kind of analyze the show this time. And as I was watching, you know, this is in the first couple episodes that Katara finds, Katara is of the Southern Water Tribe. 
And she finds Aang, you know, in an ice thingy, ice ball. And Aang is very, like, fun. He's young. He's 12, even though he's technically, like, 100 years old. And he's basically trying to encourage Katara to do fun things. And she says, I used to do this when I was a kid. And Aang says, you still are a kid. And it's really interesting because the show kind of plays off of this theme of these kids, these children being affected by war. So. And it's something we see throughout the series. Yes, absolutely. It doesn't stop just at the beginning. I think the show also kind of makes fun of itself for it because it knows that it's throwing these kids into these dangerous scenarios. And there's one episode, the second episode, where Zuko confronts Aang and Zuko says to Aang, who is, you know, the Avatar, and says, you're just a child. And Aang says, yeah, well, you're just a teenager. And so <laughs> it's kind of funny because, you know, the show is, is calling attention, special attention to the fact that these are kids who are being thrown into wartime. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of Animorphs, uh, sort of like... Uh, school children, uh, not school, not uh, but children trying to save the world, or teenagers trying to save the world. Right. So I'd like to talk about Zuko for a second, since you mentioned him. Yeah, let's please talk about Zuko. I think, you know, we could probably spend the whole episode talking about Zuko. Yes, we could. I think Zuko is possibly the best written redemption arc, I'm going to say, in all of TV. Yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with you there. It is an incredibly slow but incredibly satisfying burn of watching him slowly change throughout the series. I really liked how they paced things. So for audience members who haven't watched the show in a long time, just to remind you that Zuko is the Fire Lord's banished son. Yeah. And of course, he's in a really tough position. He's really verbally abused by his father. And he's sent on this mission. Like, he's basically forced on this mission to find the Avatar um, in order to regain his honor. And, you know, this is some heavy stuff. But I think his story is relatable and probably even more so to queer folks or any really marginalized folks. Because, first of all, they have a, he has a very rough relationship with his parents. Well, his mom is gone and his father is this awful fire lord and he still wants to gain the recognition of his father he wants his father to be proud of him he wants his father to respect him and i think that that's a lot of things that a lot of people can go through but especially if you're queer marginalized in any way that you can really see yourself in this quest it is a pretty realistic storyline because it's not like he changes overnight so I do want to note that when Zuko sent out on this mission, he wasn't supposed to return because his mission was essentially to find the Avatar. But the Avatar hasn't been seen in 100 years. There is no expectation of Zuko actually finding the Avatar. Yeah, it's almost an impossible mission. Yeah. Uh, so Zuko is essentially exiled because he's forced to go on this mission and there's basically zero hope of him ever returning from it. Right, exactly. So he's sent on this kind of impossible mission. And so it's, it's definitely a really intense storyline. But 
there is another side to his storyline that gives him hope. And it's one of the other best characters. It's really hard to say who's the best characters in the show, but Uncle Iroh, his Uncle Iroh, who takes care of him. Oh, yes. You know, he is the support system for Zuko. And he is uh, also a tea lover. And gosh, I just, I love, I love his character. Yeah. You know, he's kind of always advocating for like, trying to bring out Zuko's better side throughout the entire series. In fact, I think one of the best moments is when Zuko reunites with Uncle Iroh towards the end of the series. And this was after Zuko had betrayed him. Yeah. And he hadn't seen him since then. So, you know, Zuko is like, he has a lot of trepidation. He's like really scared of how Iroh is going to react to seeing him again. And Iroh just immediately gives him a hug. Yes, it's, it's such a it's a, such a moving moment. I I cried. I couldn't help but tear up. But also, what I like about Iroh is that he doesn't straight up tell Zuko what you're doing is wrong. Like he does try to encourage Zuko to do the right thing. But even in those times that Zuko is doing quote bad things or is being destructive his uncle isn't how do i want to say that like counterproductive like he's still compassionate towards zuko yeah he's not just like oh you're just like your father this is ridiculous he's like really cares about him and of course iroh had lost his own son and was really taking care of zuko yeah i think it really sort of is the father-son relationship that Zuko wanted in his life, though Zuko didn't realize it at the time. Right, absolutely. So we might come back to Uncle Iroh, but we've talked a, a little bit about the main characters, well, some of the main characters. Really quick, let's just transition to something a little bit broader, which is sort of the four elemental system. All right. Because I feel like that kind of frames the show, right? Like, all right, you have these uh, four nations, which are the four elements, fire, water, earth, air. And as I was watching it this time, I was starting to think about, like, what the different kinks would be that would be associated with them. (laughs) Okay. So that was kind of fun for me, because, like, obviously, firebending is fire play. Yeah. That's an easy one. And, you know, Mm. fire play is edge play. It is dangerous, which is something that, you know, like Zuko and the other firebenders kind of bring up during the course of the show is like, you know, fire is destructive. And I I fire top, so I know, like, you know, fire can be dangerous. Or even, you know, even if you're not at fire top, if you bottom at all, you know that fire can be quite dangerous. So I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, yeah, fire play, that's a thing. And then I was like, what would Earth be? I was like, maybe rope because rope's very grounding. But then I was like, no, it's like more like rough body play. Yeah, I think wrestling switches that I think kind of embodies Earth as a kink. Yeah, wrestling. Yeah, I can see that. I was thinking for air, it would be breath play and or like suspension, rope suspension. Yeah. Or I guess any kind of suspension. And then water, I was like, obviously just water sports. Even though, you know, that's not really water. But anyways, it still (laughs) applies, right? 
I guess. We're just making this <laughs> up as we go along. I I don't know. I just got off on this tangent of like what kinks would they be into? But actual elemental bending styles are based off of real martial arts. Um, and I was doing a little bit of research about the series and saw that the series hired Sifu Kisu of the Harmonious Fist Chinese Athletic Association as the martial arts consultant. So they hired a, a Sifu to actually help them to create these bending styles. Yeah, I, I'd also like to talk about this because the a lot of the story, well, not a lot, but Martial arts also conveys elements of the story. Because these different bending styles are based off real martial arts that are very different from each other, you can see characters sort of picking up elements of other styles as they go throughout the story. Yeah, so they sort of personalize them. Yes. Yes, and for those who don't know which martial arts are seen in each bending style generally... Water bending is Tai Chi, which for me was very recognizable. I, I mean, I know most of the moves that Katara was doing at the beginning of the series because I practiced Tai Chi and I actually was certified to teach um, like a very basic kind of modernized form of Tai Chi at one point. And so it was really interesting to see that being implemented in the series. But there are other forms of martial arts too. So earth bending is Hungar which is a Southern style. Firebending is Northern Shaolin style. Airbending is Ba Gua, which is a type that focuses on circular motions. And then what I thought was interesting in, in my research um, was that just like you were saying that it tells a lot of the story itself, Toph actually has her own unique style. So even though earthbending generally is Hungar, um, she actually has her own style, um, which is based off of Chugar Southern Praying Mantis style. Which makes sense in the story because she was not taught earthbending by a, a human mentor. Exactly. She sort of self-taught slash was taught by badger moles. Yes, badger moles. <laughs> yes. Which is something that is so funny about the show is like a lot of the animals are like half one animal, half another animal, like the turtle lion. Yes. And and so on and so forth. Badger moles. Yeah, it's great. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, one of the funniest lines is when they get to the Earth Kingdom and it's like, oh, here's the Earth King's pet bear. And like, <laughs> like they list oh, yeah. off a bunch of like combinations. And I was like, nope, just a bear. And then they're like, oh, this is the, the Earth Nation is so weird. Or the Earth yeah. Kingdom is so weird. Yeah, that's great. So speaking of Toph, Toph is one of the main characters and she's blind. As G was saying, she was taught earthbending by badger moles. And this brings me to the point about disability representation. Yeah, uh, Toph is a good uh, representation that, you know, Disabled people live lives and can be heroic in their own ways. Uh, there's also a character who's in a wheelchair later on in the series, if I remember correctly. Yep, um, his name is Tio. And I was also doing a little bit of research about Tio. He apparently was received kind of in a mixed way 
by actual wheelchair users. Apparently, he was found inaccurate but uplifting. So these are cartoon characters, and they're not going to be perfect representations of people who are living these lives. But the show does make an attempt, and a lot of people did feel that showing these characters like Toph and Tio did make them feel represented. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I remember correctly, this is also the same episode where they see him and a bunch of other people hang gliding Mm -hmm. in very small hang gliders. Uh, So, you know, that uh, sometimes uh, rule of cool applies when it comes to visuals. We talked about Toph. We talked about Zuko. We talked a little bit about Aang and Katara. Did you want to talk about Sokka? I actually would like to talk about Sokka. Yeah. Because I think among the other things they did very well, they did a very good job of making sure that Sokka's character was always relevant to the group. Uh, Despite the fact that he's the only, well, he was one of the only ones that did not uh, bend, do any elemental bending. He's, in the beginning, he's kind of like this kind of joke character that, you know, at the butt of at the butt end of a lot of jokes. Yeah. But as it goes on, you know, he starts growing into being a into sort of a planner, like somebody who is able to come up with plans and knows the strengths and weaknesses of everybody in the so that the plans can actually be executed. Yes, he's develops into a very clever character who has an eye for the sort of detail and vision for planning. Yeah, and this is this is a difficult thing to pull off of like having one sort of muggle-like character among a group of superpowered ones, keeping them relevant to the group. It's something that I admired rewatching this is that they were able to develop him in a way that felt genuine and didn't make it fe- seem like the other characters were taking over. And also the the show blatantly addresses that issue. There is at least one episode where Sokka says, all of you are more powerful, you have all these skills, I'm nothing, you know, he's really facing his worthlessness that he feels. He's like, I can't do anything that you do. And sure enough, he's able to prove to himself that he is worth it, and he is a contributive and helpful group member. Yeah. I mean, I'll admit, in the beginning of the series, like, at the very, very beginning, he is kind of a jerk, too. So he's definitely, like, he, he has to grow on you a little bit. Well, I mean, it's a, generally speaking, it's okay for characters to have, like, negative qualities at the beginning of the series because then we get to see them develop and become better people as the series goes on. Of course, it's totally okay. I'm just saying, like, I definitely didn't like him for a couple episodes. perfectly understandable yeah so I see a note in here about Asian representation did you want to talk about that Uh, yeah I would like to talk about that because especially now with the coronavirus going around there's been a lot of dog whistles being aimed at well sometimes just explicit racism being rained at Asian Americans here in the United States. And it's still difficult to this day to find like good Western media that 
has a lot of Asian representation. And in Avatar's case, it's not just representation. Like, it is it is full on, like, almost every character is some variation of East Asian or Inuit, I believe, is how the uh, the Northern and yes. Southern Water Tribes are coded. Yes. So it's incredibly nice to see uh, a fantasy world that's not just medieval Europe with elves and dwarves and stuff like that. I agree. And I've always been, well, something that you probably know about me is that you personally, G, know about me is that I've always been very interested in, in Eastern cultures, being a Buddhist myself, and seeing the influences which, you know, come from China, but also Indian influence as well, because we see that Guru episode. Guru, what was his name? Potnik, I think, or something? Uh, yes. And kind of like talking about the chakras and everything like that, and the meditation practices that kind of go on, that you see like all of these cultures and the indigenous cultures, like you were saying as well. It really shows a diverse representation, and that's great. I also think they did a good job of incorporating cultures that you weren't expecting. Like, remember those swamp people? Oh, yeah. I forgot about swamp people. Yeah, those swamp people uh, kind of, you know, shocked me a little bit because they're sort of like these hillbillies of the bending world. Yeah. But I thought that that was kind of cool, too. So definitely a lot of good representation all around. And certainly a lot better than the live-action movie. You know, I think I saw the first live-action movie, although now apparently there's going to be another live-action or another it's a live-action series. I'm not really sure. So the live-action movie that was directed by M. Night Shyamalan is, in my opinion, pretty terrible. And we're not going to go over it on this podcast because on this podcast we try to remain upbeat and positive. There is a new TV live-action TV series that's supposed to be coming out on Netflix that is being produced by the same uh, showrunners who did the original Avatar. So I'm a lot more hopeful about that one. Okay. I am curious about it. Perhaps we will watch it together. Yes, I would really enjoy that. Now that we have all of this weird... Well, I guess we don't have, like... It's not that we have more time on our hands, but it's like now we are we're, we have to think of more ways to like come together. So maybe streaming that or something. Yeah. Though, do you mind if I go out on a little bit of a tangent here? Of course. So I've never really quite understood why people sort of prize live action over animation. And I'm not sure... I think there's a really big question of, like, why do you even want to do a live-action reproduction, live-action adaptation of Avatar? The original show is just so good, and I'm not sure if translating it to live-action will do anything to improve it. Right. So that's my tangent. I think that, yeah, I... I, I don't know why cartoons or animation is not more well-respected, I guess is what I want to say, because it has, it has an amazing value, I guess, because it's often geared towards children, and then people just automatically assume that it won't have 
good content, um, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. But Avatar The Last Airbender won a variety of awards, and when it was first aired, it was rated the best animated television series in its demographic. New episodes averaged 3.1 million viewers each. So it won a variety of different awards in 2005 all the way through, it looks like, 2008. For example, the 2008 Peabody Award says, Unusually complex characters and healthy respect for the consequences of warfare. And it won that award. So, you know, it clearly has a lot of value. When done right. Yes. And speaking of value or values, I think the show actually does a really good job of uh, showcasing ethics and morals in a more realistic manner than a lot of kids' cartoons go, go about it. The moment that I'm specifically thinking of is when Aang is trying to figure out a way to defeat Fire Lord Ozai without killing him. Yep. And basically everybody is like, no, you need to kill the Fire Lord. Like Zuko is like, no, you need to kill my dad. Every... So he so Aang can talk to past avatars in sort of a trance state. So he talks to the past four avatars, and they're all like, "No, you need to kill this guy." Yep. And it really does like a good job of, while it eventually does get to the point of Aang finds another way to deal with it. It really does, you know, I think showcase that these are tricky problems that don't always have nice solutions or easy solutions. Yeah, I really liked seeing him grapple with this decision, especially because I personally feel very attached to the airbenders in general because they are all for peace and harmony. And kind of he he doesn't want to sacrifice his spiritual practice by killing this person, and even the last airbender before him, the last avatar who was an airbender before him, says, basically, no, you have to do it. You have to sacrifice your own spiritual needs for the good of everybody. And he still struggles, like, he doesn't want to do that. And he does end up finding a way to take away the Fire Lord's bending instead of killing him. Yes. Uh, So now that we've talked about sort of how the show does well in ethics and morals, I also want to say the humor in the show is amazing. It's a very funny show. Yes. Can can I tell you my favorite joke, Em? It's not the bear. It is not the bear. That is not my favorite joke. Tell me, tell me your favorite joke. So my favorite joke is when they're flying through the desert. And then Toph goes, look, there it is. And everybody looks to where Toph is pointing. And then Toph goes, that's what, sound, that's what it will sound like when one of you see it. Yeah, oh my god. Her jokes about she makes fun of herself being blind all the time, and it's hilarious. She, Whenever they show her a piece of paper, you know, and they unroll like her wanted poster in that one episode. And she's <laughs> like, I'm assuming there's something on the, the paper. <laughs> or you know uh, that's just a piece of paper you know because she can't see it but they all like show her it <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah and i think another good uh showcase of 
the humor is the Ember Island Players episode. Yeah, I honestly, this was a weird episode for me. Although okay. this time that I watched it, I did get high. You did get what? I did get high for this time. Okay. Because it's a weird episode. <laughs> it is a weird episode. But it's a wonderfully self-aware episode. And uh, so basically this, the Ember Island Players is, uh, basically they do a recap of the entire series through yes. a play in the world of the show which is uh, hilariously on the nose and often just enough inaccuracies like Zuko's scar being on the wrong side right also one thing that I noticed this time watching it is that they didn't put together that the blue spirit and Zuko were the same person for example no and then Aang being offended that he was played by a girl yeah, which is like, also, oh, come on, don't be offended by that. Toph was very excited to be played by a muscly guy. <laughs> yeah. She was very excited, and I honestly, I love her excitement about it. Oh, yeah. It's just such a good episode, in my opinion. I mean, I I liked it, but it wasn't my favorite. No, I don't, I don't think it's my favorite episode either, but I think it's a good showcase of not only the humor of the show, but also the self-awareness right. of the show. I really liked, if I were to look at sort of not the filler episodes, but sort of the more humorous or upbeat episodes, I really liked the episode where it's like the tales of Ba Sing Se, where they go into different characters having like little tiny adventures. And this one is very lighthearted, but also... It's in the middle of the second season, and Mako, who originally voiced Uncle Iroh, passed away mid-season. And in this episode, they dedicate the tale of Iroh to Mako. So I, I really like that. I really love Uncle Iroh's voice, both when he was voiced by Mako and also when Greg Baldwin ended up taking over. Yeah. Also, the Order of the White Lotus. What did you think of that? I thought it was a neat way of tying in all the sort of mentor characters that we've seen throughout the series, like uh, King Boomy. Right. And Iroh. And also, and... and Sokka's sword teacher. Yes. So I thought it was a good way of sort of a way to get all those characters back for the uh, season finale. I really liked following the sort of White Lotus like mystery throughout it because you know, like very early on, Iroh is saying that there's more to Pai Show than just a game. And he likes to play the White Lotus. And you see him use this card, this White Lotus piece throughout the series to help him and Zuko get out of trouble. And he obviously, you know, puts it as this, you know, almost reverence for this White Lotus and trying to convey that there's more than meets the eye. Yeah. I also want to say, I think Appa and Momo are, like, the best animal companions ever in television. Like, I can't think of, I can't think of an animal companion that was more sort of instrumental to the plot and funny and hilarious as well. Appa, in particular, is extremely well done. 
and the seeing his journey in the second season was really hard when he's captured and really mistreated and I was really feeling for him and it was it was really emotional. I mean, he's not just a sidekick. He is a main character. Yeah. Whereas Momo, I do like Momo. I think he's a cool character, but he's more of a sidekick. Yeah, I could see that. He's like Appa's sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd watch that dynamic duo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Those characters are very well done as well. The animal companion. So one more character that I want to talk about before we start to wrap up is Azula. Azula is Zuko's sister. And she, unlike Zuko, ends up not being able to really resolve her trauma. Because the story ends up being this radical story of how to heal your inner child in a way. I know that sounds so sappy and whatever, but like that's what Zuko's doing throughout this whole thing. He's learning to take care of his younger self in order to heal his trauma. And Azula was not able to do that. And you see her trauma kind of consume her. At the very end, she kind of, I don't want to say goes crazy because I don't want to use that in a negative way. But you can see the mental illness take over. And Uh, especially the paranoia. Oh, yeah, especially the paranoia. Yeah, she ends up firing, basically banishing all of her attendants. And I found out through my research, and I didn't know this before, but her fate actually doesn't end at the end of this series. There is actually a comic that shows what happens to her afterwards, but before Legend of Korra. Okay. Apparently she, Zuko doesn't imprison her her like he does his father. Instead, he takes pity on her by sending her to a, a mental institution. Okay. Which... I don't know if that's taking pity on her as much because I'm not really sure what the conditions are like in this world. But she ends up there, and unfortunately, she doesn't really get better. She ends up creating an army out of her fellow her fellow people who are in the... Asylum. Asylum. And they go and try to take the... Sort of try to take the throne back, but then... It turns out that her alternative kind of plan is to make Zuko basically angry again. Make him be like the old Fire Lord. So she wants to reinvigorate his anger. And ultimately, she is unsuccessful in doing that. I would like to point out that this final battle between Azula and Zuko is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier, where martial arts helps tell the story of the show, uh, because while Zula is nothing but pure Northern Shaolin uh, or pure firebending, Zuko incorporates a lot of other bending styles to help him in the fight. Yes, and he learns a lot of that. So it started out with um, his uncle Iroh showing him how to use water bending to redirect lightning. And yeah. Iroh has a great quote uh, that I highlighted here that says, it is important to draw wisdom from many places, from many different places. And so Iroh sort of inspires him to learn other bending techniques to help him in his fire bending. So, and of course, being exposed to the Avatar and the Avatar's group, you know, Katara and Toph and even Sokka with his fighting style really helped to shape Zuko. All right, well, do you want to end here? 
I think so. I'm just taking a look over the show notes one last time. Sorry, I thought I had like an idea of like one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, which I hadn't put in the show notes, and I'm completely blanking on what that one thing was. That's okay. It happens. Oh, I, I do have something to talk about, though. No, go ahead. Which is, for those who are tuning in, we did do this whole episode by Discord, and it was our first, I think it's our first time producing a whole full-length episode via Discord. So the voice quality, the sound quality, everything might not be what you expect it to be. But because of the current health situation and the advice to be socially distant, um, we decided not to record in person. Yes, you want to practice social distancing. You know, we all need to work together to try to flatten the curve and help make this as help reduce the amount, uh, help reduce the pandemic as much as possible. Alrighty, so if you like our content and you want to hear more of it, check out our donation link at the bottom of the show notes. Uh, and also, if you could share with your friends, lovers, and enemies, uh, but at a socially distant level, you know, just send it over Messenger or whatever you need to do. This is M. This is G. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KMP Podcast. You can find us at kmppodcast.tumblr.com or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. Every butt deserves to be happy. <laughs> Every butt deserves to be happy? Yes. I'm told I have a nice butt. You do have a butt. As a person who admires your butt, you have a nice butt. Thank you. I don't think my butt is particularly notable, but I do think I have very nice legs. You have great legs. I'm very jealous of your legs. Yeah, also, you're right about your butt, because, like, I was like, does it even exist? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ah, I felt the burn. I'm not <laughs> in the same room as you. <laughs>